0: Drasti, <laughs> how are
1: you? How uh, are you? Good. So we'll probably switch to English anyway. I feel yeah, yeah. We, I, yeah, I feel weird. <laughs> I wouldn't. I wouldn't be able to
2: to continue this way because even while I, I was watching lots of. Uh, uh, Bulgarian cartoons when I was uh, in Romania in my childhood I remember nothing.
0: Uh, it's uh, it's a bit mutual. I have watched Discovery Channel in Russian my childhood but uh, I I sort of understand it but I can't uh, form one sentence to save my life.
1: Yeah. yeah. Uh, are they still airing uh, Russian movies uh, with subtitles without uh, like translating them as they used to?
0: I have no idea. Honestly, I don't own a television for about 10 years now, so I I have no idea what's going on just on the
1: internet. (laughs) Yeah, it reminds me of perhaps the strangest experience watching Bulgarian TV uh, was watching Macedonian movies, because they didn't even uh, give subtitles back then in the 90s. And I could sort of understand what's going on, but, uh, you know, B- Bulgarians like to pretend that Macedonian language is basically a, a form of Bulgarian and vice versa. Yeah. Mas- uh, 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 also in Serbia, Serbians call their language Serbo-Macedonian, like it's also the same language, where, whereas it's a, a continuum and uh, the further north you, you go, the, the less you understand. I remember in in Belgrade, uh, when I was asking directions on the street, it was often that uh, they couldn't understand neither Russian nor uh, English, but when I asked in Bulgarian, you know, they s- scratched their head and asked me why I was talking like my great grandmother mother used to,
0: <laughs>
1: sort of it's, southern uh, dialect, yeah.
0: It's very confusing, Kaiv. Uh, it's basically the same experience with Macedonian. It's a bit like uh, old Bulgarian in some ways, bit like uh, what what's spoken in a village around here. But uh, in Serbian, I, it's very difficult. It's really, no, no, I couldn't...
1: But but even in in Bulgaria there is certain uh, variety because when I go to uh, to uh, shop uh, shop shoppy they have basically uh, yeah. a very different version of Bulgarian. I can sort of understand when they speak slowly, but when they start uh, telling jokes, uh, they lose me completely.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's uh, there are some areas for for example in the south a lot of Turkish influence. And uh, half of the dictionary is actually Turkish. In some areas, uh, you can't really, you can't really understand it.
1: And they think uh, of themselves as uh, uh, Bulgarians. Uh, I know there are uh, Muslim Bulgarians with uh, their own cu- uh, culture and even. Uh, uh, yeah,
0: they're a strange case. They uh, some of them don't consider themselves neither Bulgarians neither, nor Turkish. They're just Pomaks. Omak. For themselves, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, there's like ten thousand of them, and they consider uh, themselves a separate people. We... Yeah. So
2: uh, <laughs> we kind of rushed into this uh, uh, talk and uh, podcast uh, without any introductions. I think I will, I will return to this part of uh, our uh, uh, traditions. Uh, so I'm I'm Stepan here is Pavel, we're c- uh, co hosts of FiberGrinding's podcast and uh, uh, here is our guest from Bulgaria, uh, Stopan, but I understand that's that's your sort of cynic name, not, not your real name. Yeah, yeah, uh, uh, it's a
0: pseudonym. Some people actually in the past have confused us both because uh, yeah. your real name is actually very, very close to this.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. But,
0: but my real name is Kalin Daskalov.
2: Yeah. Okay. Uh, it's great to, he- to, to have you here, uh, Kalin, and... Uh, it's a sort of Balkanic uh, intervention here today because Pavel has yes, yes, yes. Has, has some Bulgarian roots. Uh, I have some Romanian roots, and uh, Kalin is from from Bulgaria. So, yeah.
0: yeah I feel very at home. <laughs>
2: uh, yeah, with the uh, with the names, it was it was a bit strange because when I first saw your account, I was also like, "Wow, <laughs> this this name is pretty much like mine. Is it is it some Bulgarian version of the name?" But then. I, I think it's it's absolutely different than Bulgarian so
0: yeah it actually comes from uh, we have a word like stopanstvo uh, which is like a household so basically "stupan" or stopanin is like uh, the housekeeper yeah. or like the elder of the house so it's uh it's a bit of an old form and it has some a bit of uh, folkloric roots as it's um this particular name is a, a bit like uh, honoring a past ancestor that um, somehow did something exceptional in their life so in many villages the tradition is quite different but it basically uh kind of cult of the a primitive cult to the ancestor of some sort
2: so, did the name come first, uh, or did the bookbinding come, come first? How, how was it?
0: The bookbinding came first. Uh, I remember when I, I started out, it was just um, a type of a hobby thing, mainly for me, a bit of presents to make for my friends and relatives. And uh, when I started to actually try to sell them and actually popularize them on the internet, I made a page that was called Balkan Book Bindery. Yeah. And um, it was uh, in cooperation with uh, another friend. But eventually we split, and I wanted to drive things in a bit more different direction conceptually. And I decided to uh, really make a, a bit of a more drastic change. So I incorporated this uh, pseudonym a bit to maybe drive things in a bit more creative direction and uh, somehow distance it from myself from my real name and it's actually been a, a very good idea although strange at first
1: Um, uh, But what was your audience? Uh, I mean, uh, judging by the wordplay that you use in your uh, nickname, uh, you were aiming uh, to address uh, uh, Bulgarian audiences. Was was there a market for your work in Bulgaria, or were you uh, mainly selling your books uh, uh, over, over Internet to other countries?
0: Uh, well, actually, the marketplace in Bulgaria was, um, at the time, completely non-existent. It's uh, very weak uh, right now as well. I've been doing uh, lots of um, things to, to try to pique a bit of interest in handmade books and uh, in books as a craft item, a collector's item, and so on. But it's been a very slow process. And um, it's a bit paradoxical that even when I, at one point, when I wanted to uh, get my master's, uh, how should I say, document that I'm a master craftsman in this to actually uh, legally practice my work, um, there was the paradox that there was nobody to examine me. There was no bookbinders in the capital working as independent craftsmen. So it was a very slow process to actually arrange this committee. And uh, right now in the capital, I'm the only uh, craftsman bookbinder with with a document. So if, if anybody else wants to become a bookbinder, I'm actually the only one qualified to make his examination, which is a bit of a, a strange situation because I'm really not that <laughs> proficient. Uh, not really a, a name that has been around for years. I'm fairly young, so it's it's it sounds a bit unfair to me to have this... Uh, Responsibility, but, uh, yeah. Yeah, but it's just the situation around here.
1: Actually, I was really surprised when Stefan told me that he had uh, found a Bulgarian bookbinder. I've never heard of a Bulgarian bookbinder or a or a, uh, Bulgarian book artist, because what you do is actually art, at least to me. And uh, it, uh, the situation is not new. Um, now my grandfather spent uh, most of his life uh, in Bulgaria, and it was a long life. He was born in 1920, and he told me that... Uh, the last time he uh, could find a good book binder in Bulgaria was in the So most of our uh, of our of our library, our family's library, was rebound uh, abroad, like in France yes. or in Germany. And yes. I'm I'm really glad to uh, to hear that uh, things are changing slowly. I, uh, are you thinking perhaps of taking uh, pupils or? Uh,
0: well yes and uh, no basically it's um i i'm still not sure what exactly am i supposed to, to be teaching people because i'm really how should i say um it's not like i am a commission-based bindery where i work specifically on fine bindings or um library bindings or something like this that can be methodically uh, identical and uh, therefore somehow taught to students Um, i'm currently trying to make very exotic work and uh, i'm not sure how exactly should i teach this this type of bookmaking except maybe in uh, some kind of small technique-based workshops, for example, only leather pairing or leather tooling or sewing methods and something like that. And uh, the most recent thing I'm, I'm going to try is, uh, there is a village here in uh, the north part of Bulgaria that has been very active in trying to make it a um, tourist destination for book-based um, events. So basically, they want to, they've been getting a lot of funding. Um, there is a non governmental organization that has been driving all this stuff. And uh, in short, uh, they have libraries, they have uh, book events, readings, and really want to incorporate book binding in, in this, this project. And so they've been inviting me to somehow develop a, a course for their project so this will probably be the first uh, teaching experience uh, a bit more large scale that I'll I'll be making so it's probably going to be later this year or early in the next one
1: uh, that, sounds, yeah. that sounds really interesting. What, what do you mean a village? Uh, mm, how come a village can afford a project like, like that? Is it something like a traditional craft village like Etter in Gabrovo?
0: No, there, it's, um, as I understand it, it's inspired by, um, there is this uh, international cooperative. Uh, which includes cities and villages that are famous in some way for their um, kind of... Um, I'm sorry, I'm having a bit of trouble to find the right words, but uh, let's just say that the whole, this, these particular cities or villages are famous for their uh, development of uh, some kind of book culture be it in uh, preservation, be it uh, as a past writing center, or something like that. So this village uh, actually is, from last year, is part of this international organization of such book cities and villages, and uh, wants to develop its uh, specific uh, regional culture in this direction, I guess. I'm not sure if they had this uh, sort of culture in the past, I'm not sure if uh, there were any uh, writing, uh, for example, medieval writing centers there or binding centers there, but uh, I guess they want to make it a contemporary contribution in some way.
2: You spoke about uh, teaching and uh, what what you should uh, uh, teach your students. Uh, It's somewhat resonated to me with uh, what we were discussing with our previous guest, uh, uh, Mark Cochram, and uh, he, he told mm-hmm. that uh, his main goal is to to sort of uh, place a student on a path, not to teach, teach them everything, like every, every little small thing of, of the craft, but just to show the basics and let the student decide where he or she wants to go and uh, how they want to, you know, apply the craft, and uh, then they will understand what they need and maybe they will ask you as a teacher, or find another teacher, or just continue to experiment on their own. And uh, I think that's the most important thing uh, in reviving the craft.
0: Yeah, that, that sounds very wise, actually. Uh, maybe I've, I've been just waiting for somebody with enough, um, how should I say, passion yeah. to, to come to, to ask me the, maybe the, these sort of questions. Uh, I've never refused anyone help but uh, I did have some people that uh, came to learn from me and uh, just uh, gave up pre- pretty early so that was a bit demoralizing and it has and it has happened a lot more than somebody with uh, genuine interest coming in and uh, taking this uh, this knowledge and applying it in, in their own own
1: well, it does take a very special kind of person to become a bookbinder. Uh, 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 I know quite a few, and uh, all of you are very calm, <laughs> very methodical, <laughs> uh, a bit of a nerd, most of you. So <laughs> that, that also helps. And you don't know if it's your, if it's your thing uh, until you try it. Uh, by the way, in gender terms, was it mostly men mostly women 50 50
0: mostly women Uh, and uh, but uh, not not by a long stretch Uh, maybe two-thirds women one one one-third men
1: and age-wise
0: below 30 so young people Uh, yeah, twenty-five, this bracket, roughly.
2: I wanted to ask how, how the bookbinders profession is called in Bulgarian.
0: Kniguvezit.
2: Kniguvezit. Mm. <laughs> yes,
0: and uh, the this is the the person, while the the process itself is knigovezane.
2: Oh, so it is it about tying books?
0: Yeah, or, it's a. Like... Uh, like basically a direct translation of bookbinding.
2: Okay, so like design uh, you... technique. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Okay. But, but... <laughs> okay. Sounds funny word. And how old were you when you started? Uh,
0: uh, it's easier for me to say when it's about 2013, which was about. I think I was twenty-one or twenty-two when when I started. Right now I'm I'm going to be twenty-nine next month.
2: Okay. So, so it's seven years ago. It's it's quite a long path for for a bookbinder. Really? <laughs>
0: uh it's it seems rather rather short. Well, time flies
2: fast, that's true, but in seven years you really can master some things, so
1: But then one one of our guests, uh, after what, 25 years of experience, uh, told us that he's just about starting to get (laughs) what he's doing
0: Yeah, I completely understand. I feel that way all the time, really. Um, Especially now, I have some ideas that I never had before, and I feel like I really didn't have the maturity to conceive them even for example two years ago so it's really just another another field ahead it's like a different like you came up a hill and you see a different landscape that you never saw before and uh, I have the slight feeling that uh, maybe in two three years time it's going to be the same and it's this cycle is going to just repeat itself
2: yeah, that's true. Every, every new project brings some, some new experiences and uh, then it brings some synergy between different approaches and different ideas and suddenly you see that, oh, I, I could do this uh, and these things uh, differently or I can now do something else or I can experiment a bit more and uh, then it's, yeah, something interesting appears mm-hmm. in your
1: art and craft. Yeah. Maybe you could give a, an example what excites you at the moment some some techniques some projects what's your passion now Uh,
0: my passion now is really to because uh, mm, for for a long time I've been making mostly journals uh, blank books and uh, I've been giving them a lot of uh, how should I say uh, a bit of my artistic uh, vision on on the binding itself and uh, have been really suffering that uh, i can't really see the the inside so after my uh, uh, after the society of Bookbinders competition that was last year um, i made my first complete book with uh, my own paper and inside it was a my own calligraphy and the binding was mine and uh, of course with the help of my father. And uh, it was uh, really eye-opening because for the first time I actually had a a complete project from absolutely end to finish. And it was really well appreciated from uh, just regular people and uh, bookbinders who I really respect. So I felt a bit of... Uh, it, i felt strong excitement so i've been thinking how i can how i can uh feel this again really so um, apart from journals i really want to transition at some point really towards more towards the artisti- artistic side of bookmaking and uh which includes creating the the content and uh, the insight of the book and making it a a complete conceptual uh, object. This this is really my, my passion at the moment, and I have a, a bit of an example which I can show you right here, which is a a little book that has these really non-orthodox headbands which uh, protrude and. Uh, The whole concept of the book is about fertility and uh, harvest and uh, inside are my own drawings and calligraphy on my own handmade paper which uh, and uh, this is still unfinished Uh, as you can see it's only lined with the covers but uh, it's really something that uh, it's not inspired by anything i've seen in in terms of uh, bindings is just really uh, a raw type of uh, creative expression that uh, it it a bit sacrifices a bit uh, of its functional properties for artistic ones but uh, i'm not really destroying any any other book in the process it's really just innocent in its own form and it's really relaxing so yeah, this is my direction for...
2: So you're thinking the, about moving, shifting from uh, design-binding to artist's books?
0: Yeah, yeah. A lot, uh, a lot of my time on designing and concept creation is based around artist books for now.
2: Uh, you mentioned your father and uh, I understand that you were exposed to arts and crafts from uh, early childhood as, as he is a uh, silversmith. Uh, am I right? yeah yeah and is it that uh, do you have some tradition of uh, craftsmanship uh, running through your family or, or or your father was the first uh, to take this path
0: he was the first uh, he actually comes from a family of doctors and uh, it's it's really it was a bit incidental because um, he got into silver smithing out of um, just sheer luck he was in right here in the capital when he was young, around 20 years ago, uh, just as the transition from communism to primitive democracy came around here. So uh, jobs were a bit s- scarce. And uh, a friend found him in, in a bar and told him, can you help me out in this uh, silversmithing workshop? And he said, okay, whatever, whatever pays really. So he went there and they were making um, just um, regular, regular cop- copies of things, really, because after communism, uh, a lot of people were hungry for crosses and uh, Virgin Marys, and uh, they were making a lot of these. So he really didn't um, develop, how should I say, um, a creative side in this in this job but uh, technique wise he he learned a lot and uh, for 20 years later he did nothing of the sort he worked a completely different job yeah and uh, when i started to develop this book binding and ask him to somehow relearn what what, uh, what he knew and uh, supply himself with some tools he was just in, in, a, in a month, he, he remembered everything he'd done 20 years ago and just uh, emerged this absolute creativity from him that I've, I've never seen before. It's, it's been really interesting because it allowed me to, to know my father in a way which, which I really didn't know before. And it's a, We're a great team because we really don't have to speak much to each other i only have to say to him two words and he knows exactly what to do and i and i always like what what he what he thinks of
2: that's beautiful and uh, he does some some amazing work and uh, uh what what that people can see on on your bindings and uh, on his uh, he has a separate social network account so social uh, instagram account or something as, as far as i yeah. remember and uh, yeah that's that's an impressive work
1: and, 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 and it's a very tra- uh, traditional thing uh, to work as a fa- uh, father-son team. I, I have a friend who's a wood cover and he works with his father and he's been working with him uh, all his life. And uh, they, I saw them working, they barely speak to, uh, to each other in the process. They only need to look at each other and they know what yeah. to do. <laughs> uh, it's a very rare thing nowadays i envy you actually yeah.
0: <laughs> well it uh, it was a strange process to to begin but uh, right now really it's uh, it's very it's very fulfilling although a bit stressful as uh, any creative work because you don't have a salary but yeah, uh, yeah you know how it is
2: yeah that's true
1: I wanted to ask you a bit more on the traditional side of your work. I understand you uh, uh, want to uh, continue some uh, Bulgarian, maybe not Bulgarian, Balkan, uh, Balkanian traditions of bookbinding. Uh, at least you talked about that in, uh, in your interview uh, for iBookbinding Instagram. Uh, uh, interview, well,
2: interview with uh, Anna Markova. It was initially published on, on a different Instagram and we just agreed with Anna that we will uh, share it. So, uh, yeah, props to Anna for, for making this interview.
1: A tip to Anna, yeah. yeah. So, uh, uh, what what are Bulgarian traditions? Because from what I understand, uh, they were interrupted for centuries and centuries. So, you're, you're basically reconstructing something that hadn't been a living tradition for a while. What are Bulgarian traditions in bookbinding and bookcraft for you?
0: Well, uh, there's not really much, as uh, as I've mentioned in in this particular interview. In my my opinion, the last time we actually had uh, some kind of contribution to this craft was uh, in medieval times. Still, when uh, this was uh, bookmaking was for manuscripts exclusively uh, before the rise of printing presses and uh, this contribution still wasn't much it was basically more or less in terms of decoration uh structural um in terms of um structure it it was more or less byzantine tradition in uh, in all aspects i mean uh, they're basically identical as as i've seen them so it's not really much, and um, I've, I've tried in the past to, to kind of um, build upon it, but really I, I realized at some point that it's just not not really possible. So I've been trying to uh, consider it as a sort of puzzle, how it could, could have developed until now. So I've been uh, really studying methods from different cultures. Uh, I'm really influenced by English bookbinding from the 19th and 20th century. Uh, I can't really shed that from from my work uh, right now. Uh, And in decorative terms, I've been trying to combine these pieces of... uh, what decorative traditions were around this time prevalent in pottery, in stone masonry, in wood carving and um, um, embroidery and really trying to, to connect uh, a sort of uh, stylistic atmosphere that I can translate somehow in, into into the book to make it Uh, look like from its around here although not really in direct connection to how books were made uh, 300 400 years ago so this this is my particular experiment in creating some sort of a style or tradition that has roots in in bulgaria in particular although
2: i'm not sure how (laughs) successful i am in this I guess we'll see in in, in 20 years or something. <laughs>
1: yeah, <laughs> yeah. I can think of at least two Bulgarian uh, contributions to world culture from early medieval times, which is ceramic icons and Glagolitic script, which is what I wanted uh, to ask you about. Do you, as a calligrapher, uh, only write in Cyrillics or do, uh, have you tried glagalitic script too?
0: Uh, I use it from, from time to time uh, as a decoration, ma- mainly as a numerical type of uh, value, um, because it, uh, before, before Arabic numbers came into mainstream use, uh, we actually, in most cultures, they use the letters as the number, for example, A was one, B was two, and so on so all bulgarian as a language is very complex um and with uh, much changes in different epochs so i'm having um it, it sounds to me strange to to for example write a contemporary bulgarian word in in Guagulitic. Uh so i prefer to write in Cyrillic in um, in contemporary Bulgarian. Although I would really like to, to know old Bulgarian and write in Gogolitik, I really don't have for, uh, for now the, the opportunity to learn it extensively and use it properly. I don't want to massacre it in some, uh, um, just an educated way, just, just to look uh, cool or old and uh, traditional. I really don't want to disrespect it.
1: I know there is a contemporary tradition of Glagolitic writing in Croatia, uh, uh, where they're trying to uh, revive it. They are very proud of having uh, uh, most uh, of, of what survives from Glagolitic inscriptions on on stone. Uh, yeah. They uh, they uh, used it as late as fifteenth sixteenth century. So uh, then they lost it for like a, a century uh, or so and now there is a revival program uh, there are calligraphers uh, are writing uh, in glagolitic there are books and even in newspaper printed in glagolitic wow so that's... yeah so there is a bit a bit of revo- uh, revival there
0: but the language itself is uh, contemporary croatian yes yeah wow yeah. wow yeah. Yeah. that's that's really brave, I, my admirations,
1: really. My, my, my too, because to me, Logolithic uh, looks like, say, Armenian or Georgian script uh, or uh, something else would have used in uh, the yeah. <laughs> Middle yeah, Ages. It's beautiful, it's a, really. It's, it's a very beautiful script, yeah. And and uh, and, uh, and also you you mentioned that uh, old Bulgarian sounds strange to you, uh, to Russian speaker, old Bulgarian actually uh, is easier to understand uh, than modern Bulgarian because of church of tradition of Church Slavonic, which has influenced modern Russian greatly. Many of our contemporary words come from Church Slavonic, which is basically old Bulgarian.
0: Yeah, and I think the structure has. Um... I'm not sure how it's in English, but, Padesh. Do uh, you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, and uh, right now, contemporary Bulgarian doesn't have any of these. We use uh, suffixes and uh, postfixes.
1: Well, technically, there is like vocative when you uh, when you call someone. Yeah. Kolo, yeah. which yeah. is one of those. Yeah, you well, don't te- say Kola, you say Kolo. Yeah. Technically, uchidel, uchidel.
2: technically in Russian, there is also uh, some remnants of vocative, uh, uh, but uh, they're almost non- non- non-existent. But it's not
1: taught, taught in schools. Yeah. yeah, in school, we're only taught like six six of, the, uh, of yeah. those. Yeah,
2: I think in Romanian, there is more vocative uh, than in Russian right now, <laughs> much more.
1: But, uh, but Romanian is grammatically rather similar to, uh, to, uh, to Bulgarian. There is this phrase uh, Balkan Sprachbund, which is a uh, Balkanian language union. Yeah. <laughs> uh, when ma- many languages that are, n- that are not directly related to each other are grammatically very similar. Like, uh, yeah. b- like there is a full analog of a and the in Bulgarian. Uh, uh, used as a suffix, and it's also used as a suffix in Romanian, yeah. which is unique f- uh, uh, for uh, 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 descendants of uh, Latin. You don't yeah. say la something, but yeah. something yeah. Yeah. la. Yeah. In some right?
2: stand of articles, you use uh, su- uh, suffixes, suffixes in, in yeah. Romanian, that's yeah. true. Uh, ad, ad, another, another funny thing uh, with Romanian language is that uh, uh, when I uh, come, come over to Bucharest and uh, 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 sometimes when I met uh, if you know Mihai Vertejaro, a bookbinder from uh, from Bucharest uh, uh, yeah I follow him sometimes he makes me to read all the uh, Romanian church books and they are written in in Cyrillics so I can easily read them I I, not always I can understand what's written in them because uh, I my understanding of Romanian is far from good but he can understand them but he can treat read them I can read them, but I can't understand them. <laughs> <laughs> it's Hello. a two-key lock. Yeah. yeah, we need each other for this job. Yeah, yeah. Uh, did you have any any uh, any experience in arts uh, before you started bookbinding? Because uh, you definitely have some style in your in your uh, work, uh, and uh, it seems that uh, you need to have some background before you can uh, uh, do something like that? Or or this started with uh, with your bookbinding uh, experiments as well?
0: Uh, this started with uh, the bookbinding for sure because I, I studied to be a librarian okay. in university and in school I studied to programming C++ <laughs> so, uh,
2: okay that's that's what, really... one more thing we shared all of us yeah. <laughs> because it seems all of us are, are programmers in
0: some way yeah but it's actually helped me because uh, uh, just the the IT culture and knowledge I, I couldn't have uh, built my website and just do the, the whole thing with video editing and uh, photo editing it's it's uh, it has its place in in my my work but uh purely on on the creative side it, it's really it came out of just necessity and maybe naturally uh due to the nature of the job but uh, even now i consider myself more of a decorator than uh, an artist or because if i have to for example draw a dog i can't i really don't have this connection from my head to my hand i can imagine how should i write uh, how should i draw the dog but when it comes to the hand to execute it it's it it turns out something completely different but if i if i imagine the book as a space uh, which i can uh, chart in smaller areas and uh, think in terms of symmetry or asymmetry and in terms of uh, aligning elements in a particular order that that i consider myself somewhat good at but um just, uh, just I, I'm not really good at uh, spontaneous, spontaneous creativity.
2: So you have, you have a more of a mathematical approach to to uh, designs
1: and drawing.
0: Probably, even though I'm very bad at mathematics.
1: <laughs> <laughs> do, uh, do you use computers in your designing pro- uh, process? Uh,
0: not really. Uh, I don't know how. Uh, I have I've only recently from this year bought myself a drawing pad and do a bit of calligraphy and uh, some vector graphics as an experiment on the computer. But uh, mainly, to be honest, I have a, a sort of a strange approach. I often write what I want to do and this is my this is better than me actually sketching the design because my sketches are usually ugly but if i develop it into words uh, for example this comes this looks like this and comes after this and uh, if i write one or two pages in this way i actually kind of um, fix it in my head and when it comes to actually executing it it uh, it tends tends to come rather easily.
2: That's that's an interesting method of visualization.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so so but, basically, uh, in in your case, uh, words are worth a, stu- a thousand pictures, and not vice vice versa.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, I understand this is completely repairable. If I had uh, more discipline to practice drawing, I could learn and uh, to make things better but for some reason i, I just don't find it uh, joyful i feel it like uh, like homework i don't like to draw
1: well it, works. You, uh, it works for you so why not yeah <laughs> but, uh, but you like calligraphy so there's yeah. uh, separate things for you because many calligraphers <laughs> consider themselves as artists and for them drawing and writing are very similar activities
0: Probably, but they they probably understand drawing in a sense in which I do not, I mean, uh, I guess if you're a better uh, drawer or artist, you're uh, automatically probably a better calligrapher, but
2: not always, I... I... Not necessarily, <laughs> so, yeah. I, I know, I,
1: I know uh, artists whose handwriting is as bad as uh, an average doctor's, or even worse, so... <laughs> yeah, so then, but mine so they, too. They can, they can draw a tree, but they can't write a letter A, so that I, I can understand that it's not a K? I mean, come on.
0: Yeah. <laughs> my usual handwriting is awful as well uh, my wife actually often tells me you should just just write in in callig- in your calligraphy everywhere you go you just abandon your normal handwriting <laughs> um, uh,
1: uh, how did that come about by the way how did you start uh, 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 into calligraphy uh, was it intentional or was it a hobby that uh, uh, transformed into, into part of your craft
0: well, it's really just like everything else. I have incorporated in the books, including the print designs and the handmade paper. Um, I I probably have this benefit that I I don't have a background in anything, so I really don't know when I'm doing things wrong. So I just uh, I can just start and try it out, really. Um, I want to make paper and I start start making paper. I want to try um, lino cutting and uh, I try it and wh- whatever happens, I somehow incorporate it. So calligraphy was uh, pretty much the same. I just wanted to write a particular story or something like that. And uh, just uh, opened my facsimile books with uh, old Bulgarian manuscripts and uh, when I started using the, the pen, um, I saw a lot of simul- similarity and I understood that it's not about really the style, it's about the, the tool you're u- using to write it and the medium. For example, I, I found that the tool itself, the pen, and the paper really dictate how the, the writing will come about. Not, not exactly, it's not exactly a designing process, especially if you want to write fast. So I really think uh, it helped me, this helped me understand that most of these manuscripts that I saw and thought, thought of them as uh, this kind of an artistic uh, project were actually just a natural move of the hand, really, r- which was uh, forced by the paper. Or parchment and the tool used in this particular case. so it's really not that um, not that big of a burden. If you want to write something uh, in handmade paper with, with a pen you can just grab it and the script will look different whatever you, you've thought in your head.
1: Have you ever try, uh, tried writing with a quill? like with an actual feather. I hear experience is very different and letters come out differently too. Uh,
0: I've tried, but uh, I really can't. Maybe my feather was uh, not that good uh, because it was very brittle. It, uh, it didn't hold uh, the tip. The tip was uh, often breaking. I understand so you it, need to
1: get, uh, to get a swan feather whole
2: thing.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well uh it it may be hard to find but i'll, I'll try sometime maybe in a zoo who knows yeah. maybe you can even pluck one
0: <laughs> yeah uh the the feather i tried was actually from a peacock so whoa if, yeah but uh, i found it uh, just like you said in a zoo but I wouldn't recommend it. Uh, it's a bit brittle.
2: Do you use uh, Do you use pens uh, made by your father for for calligraphy, and maybe in just you know usual life?
0: Yeah, right now, right now I'm I have my my pen over here that that uh, he made, and uh, I've been using it for almost everything uh, I've done recently because you can remove the, yeah. the tip, and uh, I can put on whatever I want. So before that, I used some other pens, but uh, this one really, um, what can I say, the, these custom works really help out with uh, getting in the zone and making something, something
1: nice. Yeah. Perhaps you could show us some of your recent work with calligraphy.
2: Or maybe some some uh, bindings do you have something on hand. On or...
0: I have uh, a few things to to show you. It's uh, um, for better or for worse. Uh, most of my recent projects have been sold, but uh, I do have some interesting things to to show you that are not that familiar. Basically, uh, one of the one of the projects you used in your post on instagram uh, the pillars collection with these uh, long journals that they were made in 2018 and i've been keeping them keeping them since they really haven't uh, found a a new home and uh, although they're beautiful i'm a bit uh, a bit tired of just showing them (laughs) i actually feel, feel them right now a bit old so I'll show you what i've been working on which is going to be the the next project after that um, fertility harvest book that i showed you earlier yeah and it's going to be a lot more ambitious so basically after i made uh, a lot of paper this season i've made uh, my father actually designed these frames yeah and they've been printed on lot of pages and this is going to be folded and this is actually how the signature is going to be constructed so I've been practicing some scripts it's going to be a whole book written in such a way I'm still not sure exactly what type of script to use for example this is a bit uh, thin and uh, this is a thicker variant with uh, a bit more decoration.
1: Oh, <laughs> uh,
0: on That's... Uh, on the screen.
1: Uh, I could read the first one. This yeah. is this is more of a incantation <laughs> to me.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, I really like uh, this type of. Uh, it, uh,
2: it definitely definitely looks uh, more more fairy tale like. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. And uh, I've tried also in red, and uh, this is basically just a sneak peek on the the design process. It's uh, uh, sorry, my what screen saver. Be?
1: Um,
0: I want to. I'm not sure if you're familiar, but um, there is this uh, mystical historical figure in Bulgarian history. Uh, we had a. Uh, a king that uh, we really attribute our only golden age uh, in the Bulgarian medieval history to him. He was uh, Tsar Simeon.
1: Uh, Wasn't he the one who had a brother who could turn into a wolf and a raven?
0: (laughs) Yeah, exactly this historical figure, but this is his son, Uh, not his brother. He had two sons, one was Peter, and one was this uh this one Veniamin basically Peter was uh crowned king after him and he was a devout christian and Veniamin decided to return to paganism and accepting the old Bulgarian name Boyan so he's known as Boyan the magician yeah yeah Boyan yeah. and uh there is really only one short historical uh chronic uh written about him basically that he accepted uh the pagan name he wore pagan clothes and he is known to practice magic and turn it to a to a wolf and this is the only evidence of his character and it, it, it exploded in, in bulgarian literature with uh, many authors actually um, evolving his uh, mythos in some way. And uh, with this project, I want to make a contribution to the story and actually uh, write my own interpretation of uh, what this character was like. And uh, really want to make a par- parallel a bit with uh, Western alchemy, as, for example, how alchemists wanted to... Uh, turn matter into gold and therefore from the outer transform the inner and uh, I want to relate it in crafts in some way so I want to I want to uh, imagine Boyan as a craftsman who at one point uh, had such a power over matter that he he had power over the matter of his body as well and could turn into a wolf and something like that
1: um, so that's very poetic, and also in, <laughs> and 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 also fitting to, uh, to the scripts you're using, uh, especially to the more magic-looking one. Um, I, yeah,
0: um, I want it to be a, like a live story, and it's going to be a double book. Uh, I can show you a bit of uh, sketches I have here. Some of my more not so ugly sketches. I'm not sure if, uh, if I can explain it properly, but uh, as you saw, this signature is going to be rather narrow. So these are going to be two books, uh, one facing the other. Mm-hmm. And they will have two covers separate on the top, but one cover that is going to be common for the both of them on the bottom. And both of them will have uh, an additional covers that, uh, as you can see in the other picture, this is how it will look closed. So it will have four covers, one going up, one going down, and two going sideways. And uh, there's going to be a lot of gold and silver on on top, and uh, we're still designing
1: So opening the book will will be a process in itself. Like you don't get it all at once. Yeah. Yeah, it's going.
0: I wanted to be a kind of like I'm not sure how it's in English, but in Orthodox Christianity, you have this um, basically a wood carved thing you put on the wall with icons, which open and you put a candle in the middle. It's basically uh-huh. like a home shrine. We call it a ikonostas, and um, I wanted to be like, um, for example, a pagan. Uh, um, uh, something like a rebellion of a rebellion of Boyan against against uh, Christianity, but uh, in his own search for freedom type of way, not really in a destructive sense.
1: It's. Uh, I think it's also fitting because according to legend, as far as I remember, Buyan and his Christian brother fought together Against uh, enemies uh, of the nation, so they fought the same war, but in different ways. One was uh, fighting with the cross, another was fighting with his magic. So yeah, yeah. there is this synthesis too. This is great because you, you know uh, Mark Cochrane, who we've already mentioned today, he also makes uh, uh book inspired icon- uh, iconostasis. Uh, he also thinks that the standard diptych is a form of a book. So he yeah. treats it like the variant of the same object. This is, this is great. Thank you for showing it to us. This is very inspiring. No
0: problem. I, I hope I we get to all see it finished someday. <laughs> it's, uh... That's true. Um... And. Uh if you have time I can show you just one smaller object we made recently this is the the first scroll me and my dad actually made so he made the whole um, engineering of it while I just uh, made the scroll inside so it has this type of lock lock yeah which which uh, opens and this in front is actually a door I'm not sure if um if it could be seen properly but
2: it yeah. Yeah. We can definitely see. And maybe so maybe even read a bit. <laughs>
0: But yeah, as I said in the beginning, these are really the, the first projects I really want to incorporate everything from, from calligraphy to handmade paper and uh, just make complete conceptual conceptual projects. It's really fun and I feel that really people have a more emotional response and connection to them rather than just from a blank book. But uh, we've yet to see. I'm not really in, uh, able to make a complete transition right now and, and just to make only these ones. But I hope in time I can.
2: Do we see if there is a market for objects like these? Because uh, uh, I'm sure that there, there should be some collectors that uh, would want to have uh, uh, books and scrolls and uh, other... Artists books objects uh, uh, like these ones in their collections
0: Yeah, uh, I really think so and that is one of the reasons why, why I'm giving this uh, much of my time right now because um, actually uh, The person who purchased that particular book I mentioned earlier from Society of Bookbinders competition in 2019 yeah. uh, Was a very big collector and he showed me, after he purchased it, uh, a catalogue of his whole collection. It was just staggering. I mean, he has things from Mesopotamian uh, uh, clay tablets to modern contemporary artistic book bindings from big names like Sangoskin, Sutcliffe, Philip Smith and so on and um, it's been a real honor to, to actually have one of our works in his collection and he mentioned this particular thing that uh, he really thinks that there are a lot of collectors in europe who are very um, eager to fill their collections with examples from authentic work from eastern europe and the balkans and uh, russia because there just isn't isn't much of it
2: yeah yeah that's true uh every bit counts i guess yeah but isn't it a bit bit sad to give away your child that won uh, won this prize last year
0: oh no i was very happy
2: (laughs) (laughs) and uh and
0: and my father was too When I told him he was outside and he started yelling in the celebration. <laughs> okay, that's it's uh <laughs> I I had some I had some doubts in the beginning, but uh it's it's just you have to keep things moving forward. That that's uh what we said to ourselves. We can't really delve in this too much.
2: That's that's a good attitude. Yeah, it's it's much easier for me because I I don't have any unique objects in my, you know, among the things I make. So it's it's so much easier.
0: Yeah, probably. But uh, you know what? It, it's a strange feeling because um, sometimes when we think uh, when we discuss it with my dad, it's like we don't. Uh, uh, we are not sure why, why are we doing this because we want to make something um, really passionately and we when when we make it we we don't want to to look at it we just want to make the next one yeah so it's not really about the object in the end of the day it's just uh maybe the the process just uh the the mental uh, the mental space which you you go, go in when when you do this type of work
1: well i guess I, like can, I can i can understand life that. to me. <laughs>
2: <laughs> i guess i can understand that pretty well because uh, I, I switched from book binding some time ago uh to and from book repairs to making book binding tools and uh, the process of uh, designing new tools and uh, updating old designs and improving them uh, brings me so much more happiness than anything else in the whole uh, you know things uh, among the whole things i do and uh, of course when when a customer writes to you and oh your small tool changed my process absolutely it's so much easier now to do this and this uh it's it's of of course it's it's amazing and it makes me so happy that uh, i I can't even explain that but then the process of designing and uh iterational process of uh, making changes and seeing that you you improve something and you As as you told us before, uh, there is this synergy uh, that comes after years and years of experience or with every year of experience. You see that, okay, I take some design I made like three years ago and I remake it now and I see that many things I could have uh, done better and I can can do them better or I can do them them in absolutely different way that it uh, makes the whole design, you know, absolutely different thing once again, much better, hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, th- this this creative process is, is really beautiful and uh, fulfilling, so. Okay, so. This
0: is my workshop.
2: Yeah.
0: And basically, this is the messy work table <laughs> that I have. Hello, Stefan. Hi. Hi again. Uh, <laughs> right here I keep my nipping press and below it
1: the sewing uh, frame. Yeah. That um, looks handmade too. handmade too. Well,
0: the press is uh, from somebody named Robert from the UK, but uh, they're a bit hard to find really, but it was a cheap alternative. Uh, the, the sewing frame is from a uh, Dutch master Carp- carpenter and uh, this press is from him as well. Yeah. And uh, my knives are here. This is my old press, which... Uh, I do not really use anymore.
2: This looks like uh, like a press for juices or something like that.
0: <laughs> well, what can I say? And uh, some of my tools: bandknippers, soles, saws, hammers.
2: Yeah.
0: And uh, below I keep uh, a bit of my little printing equipment, my papers. It's a uh, it's a bit messy, but works for me, I guess. And uh, right here I have the big laying press
2: mm-hmm. with uh, the
0: plow, a collection of hand tools,
2: yeah,
0: some chemicals, glues, paints, inks, and so on. And uh, right here I have my voice (laughs) (laughs) that I use in my free time. A few books around here, I can actually show you. This is one of my early attempts to to make a binding and inside is a printed book on Bulgarian manuscripts
2: it's always interesting to see uh first attempts in bookbinding of uh different bookbinders
0: yeah most of them are pretty sad
2: well that's that's how we'll start and then it, it gets better and uh, i think that's that's a good example to everyone that uh, you just need to begin with something and uh, then it Im- improves and uh, uh several years later, you can make uh, rather good books.
0: Yeah, I hope so. And here are the, a few journals that I plan to make uh, quite soon.
2: So that's Please a, that's, that's a stack of work uh, for, for the nearest weeks, I guess. Yeah, these are three journals that
0: I'm going to be doing now. Uh, They're going to be brown. Four red and three blue ones, each with uh, their own particular gonna print design yeah. on the cover. And uh, some past works as well. This is maybe from two thousand and fourteen or
2: fifteen. Yeah. So, once again, it already looks quite nice. Uh, you can see some
0: things that I wouldn't do now, such yeah. as this,
2: yeah.
0: At yeah. Least this yeah. side.
2: Well, every time I, I take uh, some of my old books, I can see some things that I, I should have done better. <laughs> That's just how it works. <laughs>
1: do you make your paper in here too i have a
0: a big plow and press here as well but i don't use it often because i don't work such large formats okay but
1: uh just in case you have a good collection and, uh, of presses yeah, I, ca- I, really I counted like this. five or six well so this one
0: which is a laying in time press. Uh, this press that I made myself a uh, lot of years ago, but I still use uh, the old press that uh, I don't really use. The big press below, the nipping press here, um, the laying press and plow here. Yeah these these are all my presses and uh, basically this is my small workshop yeah this is where I keep my letters and uh, other materials. I really want to keep them away from the light yeah and. Uh, I have this sort of um, like utility room which uh, actually was a back at some point. But,
2: uh,
0: uh, I make paper here mm-hmm. and uh, I have to clean glue blue or inks or any such things. I basically use this wet room. Yeah. Uh, Otherwise, I'll just ruin <laughs> this nice room here
2: <laughs> That's good to have uh, a, a bedroom uh quite close to your workshop because uh i I make paper in our bathroom and it's on the other other side of the apartment, so <laughs> it's always <laughs> quite quite a messy process to you know to go all the way over there to uh to do the paper and then bring it back yeah and, uh, you are going always
1: yeah uh I, ha- I have to say yours is by far the tidiest workplace i've ever seen you, <laughs> usually it's uh, it's all co- uh, all covered in uh, in projects and bits and pieces and instruments and uh, for you it has to be in its own place it's, it's really nice
0: thank you right now I consider it uh, actually messy (laughs) Um, it's a bit more it's a bit more straight but uh, to be honest I can't start work if 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 things are not cleaned up I mean I just uh, I feel filthy
2: I've I've been clean. I've been cleaning my workshop for the past four weeks uh, uh, because I finally felt that I can't can't move forward uh, without a clean workshop. And it looks like I can't even compare how much messier it looks right now after four weeks of cleaning <laughs> compared <laughs> to your small workshop.
0: <laughs> hey, but you have a lot of stuff. I mean, when I look behind you, you have. Uh, a lot of things going on, and
2: uh, yeah, yeah. On the top I shelf, I try to keep it on the top shelf. I usually have some some orders that are waiting sending. Like the orange thing over there is a, a paper making uh, mold. Yeah, I yeah, it's like this one. <laughs> I, I really like the the watermark. Yeah, it's it's a lemon. <laughs> Yeah that, that was one of the things that uh, I really liked about 3D printing uh, paper paper making molds that you can uh, make almost any watermarks with uh, quite easily uh, uh, compared to traditional paper making molds so yeah I I really, love yeah, I, really can. I really love this process too. So once again, it it shows that uh, you can do bookbinding in, in in a quite small space, and uh, you do not you don't do not really need a large studio to to make some books. Uh, really, what what you need to to have is at least one table, and then you can already uh, begin making books.
0: Yeah, I think so too. It's really the the big investment in tools comes really with. Um, uh, larger expectations about what you want to do, but it's not really necessary in the beginning.
2: Yeah, yeah. We we had uh, one of our of our first guests was uh, a Brazilian uh, Dutch painter and uh, uh, book restorer uh, Eliana Gomez uh, from from Harlem from Netherlands, and uh, she has a very small studio. It's like I think it's uh, six uh, six square meters or something like that, or even less. And uh, she has a board shear there, there. she had uh, a lot of storage, she has a uh, workbench, and uh, uh, I just loved how how impressively well she used all this uh, uh, small space. Not only space, not only, you know, not only the surface, not only the six square meters, but all the space of the small <laughs> workshop. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. Um yeah, I guess uh, that's mostly it uh thanks a lot for the tour thanks a lot for showing the uh, uh, your work your your past and future work uh, your workshop it was an amazing to talk to you and to see all these things
1: and it was really nice to meet you your enthusiasm is very inspiring thank you <laughs>
0: Thank you. As well. And I just really want to say that uh, I really admire your platform and I don't know how you you, you got this idea to really popularize bookbinding to, to a wide audience. And I really uh, don't think anyone else is doing it the way you guys are doing it right now. So I really think uh, everybody owes you a favor. I'm sure a lot of uh, new eyes look at bookbinding in a completely different way because of uh, your work. So thank you. Thank you from my end as well.
2: Thank you. So many thanks to all the members of our community. Many thanks to our patrons on Patreon. The money coming from our patrons on Patreon now cover our expenses on editing these uh, podcasts. Uh, so it's really important for us that... Uh, You support us in this way. If you'd like to become a a member of our Patreon community, uh, just use the link below. Uh, Pledges start with only one dollar or one euro per month. And uh, every pledge is uh, very important to us. Uh, You can subscribe to our YouTube channel or to our podcasts on uh, other platforms like iTunes. uh, Or you can uh, uh, follow our newsletter on iBookBinding.com. Uh, our next guest is uh, my fellow student uh, from uh, American Academy of Bookbinding, Brenda Gallagher. She is uh, a graphic designer and a bookbinder and a bookbinder teacher uh, from uh, Boulder, Colorado. Um, well, thanks again. If you have any ideas or any questions to our uh, next guest or any ideas whom would uh, better. Invite uh, next time, just leave a comment below and see you next time. Thanks again. Thanks to Pavel, thanks to Stefan, uh, Kalin. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, good luck with your work. Uh, I hope to see a lot of uh, new books uh, from you in the years to come.
0: Thank you very much. Thank you.
2: And then sa- send greetings to your father because his work is quite impressive
0: absolutely
2: so yeah that's it cut done